my omelet hombres, my bacon brigade, before the show starts, take a second to subscribe and leave a review, share with some friends, and while you're listening, make sure you check out the Breakfast store with so much amazing merchandise at breakfast.com. People of Earth, if you can hear my voice, you have arrived at another episode of Breakfast with Brent Pope. I am your host, Brent Pope. My guest today is Bill Cott. He is so recognizable, you guys. You've seen him on huge projects like This Is Us, Galaxy Quest, Wizards of Waverly Place, The Ringer, and so much more. And that's not all. We also had breakfast from Sloan's and Valley Village, and we had breakfast burritos. So, welcome to breakfast, where we never give up, we never surrender, because we have Bill Cott today on breakfast. Welcome to Breakfast with Brent Pope. Breakfast. This young lady just smashed the lids on all these cakes in the bakery section. I could go on a Hallmark card. <laughs> My uh, guest today. Oh, I'm going to need to hear all about that. I didn't need any extra sausage. Yeah, it's character to my crew. <laughs> Is a goat pit a real thing? What? Welcome to Breakfast with Brent Pope. Great place to hang out and good food, too. I'm always playing blue-collar guys. Breakfast. Somebody screwed through the pipe. I wouldn't jump up and down until we stabilize the hydraulics. I love a crawler. All my uncles got the gout. Jalapeno slash cheddar waffles. Who doesn't love that? It's breakfast time. Breakfast. The only show where bacon, pancakes, Hollywood. I'm your host, Brent Pope. <laughs> I love the line from Galaxy Quest. <laughs> I, look, I think you should use it whenever you can. You know, <laughs> I do. It's a personal ethic of mine. I, like, I, like we were talking about earlier, I even apply it to TikTok. Oh, nice. There well, we yeah. Go. Yeah. I mean, look, it's easy to surrender on TikTok. You're just, it's, to me, I just get overwhelmed on TikTok. You seem to have managed it and like uh, gotten to a place where you could just kind of turn that stuff out. And that's, that's great. Uh, I think it helps to be borderline ADHD. <laughs> And, is that and, what it I, is? and I, I don't say that lightly. I'm, I'm, I've got an appointment to be diagnosed potentially um, this week. Oh because, wow! Because yeah, um, I, it's the first time I'm talking about it on a podcast of any kind. But I think mental health awareness is important. So, but I, I think a lot of people are are, are starting to uh, partially self-diagnose on TikTok. They're like, oh, wait a minute, those are symptoms. Wait a minute, that too. And then it gets to a certain point where like you got to bring it up to a therapist, and you're like, okay. This needs to be addressed. You know what's interesting is um, I listen a lot to to WTF, the Mark Maron podcast, and there's mm-hmm. something he's just been saying during this whole pandemic, which is, you know, since we're kind of isolated and, uh, you know, we're lucky if we have a lot of good, uh, cool people around us and loving family and everything, but that's not always the case. But even if that's the case, we're still more isolated than we normally would be. Mm-hmm. And what he says is, you know, we're all going to find out now who we really are. Right. So mm-hmm. I think what he means is like some of the things that maybe we cover up uh, just or we just don't notice are getting more exposed. And it's like maybe, you know, that's one of the things that is if there's anything, the one good thing that comes out of this is people maybe are more aware of themselves and uh, things that they didn't notice before. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of the work of the great philosophers and and, and even psychoanalysts, too, I guess, came from the previous uh, epidemic pandemic when people were forced to spend all that time isolated and they were even more isolated then they had no podcast. They had no TikTok, no social media of any kind. God, that's interesting that you say that. I mean, you're probably right. Uh, it's just the, 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 you know, you live in the times where you have time to think about things and mm-hmm. you're going to get more philosophizing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Look, I'm a big fan of your stuff, man. Let's start with this is us because it's such a popular show. It's so Look, if you're talking about a TV drama, man, I mean, that's the pinnacle right now, right? This is us. Yeah. And, and it's and, also, I love that it's a dark comedy too. 
Yeah, it's surprisingly funny uh, when you, when you don't always think it's going to be, mm-hmm. right? I have to say, I you know, I'm assuming for most of the stuff I've seen of you that you're you're I would say your wheelhouse is comedy, right? Definitely, yeah. But you have this scene and if you guys watch this is us, you've seen Bill Cott play the mailman and I've I am rarely surprised when I watch TV and when you had the scene with Sterling K Brown which that's got to be a whole thing in and of itself. Just uh, performing with that guy at that level has got to be really cool. Yeah. And I know if you've performed with a lot of big, big actors, but doing that and and going toe-to-toe with him and actually, you know, I guess carrying the scene because it's mostly uh, your information that's being delivered, surprisingly, to Sterling K. Brown. Mm-hmm. Like, you really affected me emotionally in that scene. And I look, I've heard so many people talk about how great you were in that scene, and, and it's well-deserved, man. How, what went into – I mean, what do you remember from that particular scene? A lot. Well, the first thing I remember is auditioning for the part. Mm-hmm. And in the audition sides that I was given, um, Randall doesn't tell me that he has passed away. I hope I'm not spoiling for anybody who hasn't watched season one of This Is Us yet. Right. Uh, it tells me that 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 William has passed away. He tells me that he's upstairs resting because they didn't want sides going out with a major plot point all over town. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. So then they tell me that in the room and they said, okay, so here's the difference. He's not just upstairs resting. He's dead. And then I literally started tearing up in the room because, you know, as actors, you know, we, we overcome so much to prepare for an audition and you have to prepare yourself for that sort of um, reaction. And I, and I wasn't able to, and now they're expecting this of me. And I started welling up with tears. Yeah. And I gave them the audition they wanted. After one take, they said, that was brilliant. We loved it. Thank you so much. And I went out so upset. I was like, yeah, they were being patronizing, you know, because of that imposter syndrome we all deal with too. Yeah. And I was kicking myself. I was upset. And then before I got home, I think, I got the call. It was a rainy day sitting there. I had a newborn daughter and um, we had a friend over visiting us. And I got the call and I was like, oh, my God. And so I showed up on set, and uh, with a, one of the one of the PAs that worked on it was one of my improv students. She was like, "Bill, what?" <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god!" And so the first face that I saw there was a friendly one and made me feel at home and like a family. But even if even if she hadn't, everybody on set just made me feel so welcome. And uh, got in the van, headed over to set with Sterling, and you know I was a, I always get a little intimidated, a little starstruck. Yeah. And so I didn't say much. And he said, so you want to run some lines? I said, yes, thank you. And we started running it and, and he was very complimentary and we didn't talk that much. Um, he's, he's definitely one of those, you know, um, very uh, introspective kind of quiet people. And I love that about him. Cause I, I consider myself that way pretty often too. Like, you know, I'm a comic and I'm hardly ever on. I'm not one of those guys who's out there doing bits all the time. Right. Uh, and especially when I'm in, in dramatic mode, I'm extra not on. And so we, we didn't talk too much going into it. And then we shot the scene and we started rehearsing the scene and blocking it. And they wanted to keep on running it. They wanted to make sure they got it lit right because, you know, there's a transition from outside to inside. And, you know, it was all being lit inside of a studio. But at the same time, you know, different lighting for each shot. 
So they, they were always trying to make sure that everything was perfect. And he said, guys, I think we need to ease off. This is going to be a lot of work for him. And so he created a lot of space for me and was so supportive. And, you know, I'm used to being the walk-on mailman or the walk-on delivery guy or the, the teacher that pops their head out of the door for a minute in, in these roles that I do. I'm always, you know, these guest stars that you know, I'm just there to serve the main storyline. And my character was serving the main storyline, but it was about that for that moment was about that character's emotional journey. Yeah. And so uh, I, I, I kept on pulling back and the director kept saying, you know, I think you can go further with this. And I was like, okay, I just don't want to make a meal of it. And she was like, what? And I said, I, I didn't want to make it all about me. And she said, that's what this is about right now. And wow. Then, then the waterworks really came. Wow. That's great. I guess say, so, you know, if you don't watch this is us, uh, this is a spoiler, but you know the show's been on for a long time, so you guys can catch up. And and uh, but Sterling K. Brown, his his father has died, and so in that scene, I think to me what the scene was about was you portraying to Sterling K. Brown's character that oh I didn't I didn't know everything about my dad. Yes, uh, I didn't know. You know there are things that we don't know about people, and it changes your perspective. You know, mm-hmm. it was such a great scene, man, and. Uh, Congratulations on it, man! And uh, look, that getting starstruck in front of certain stars happens to me. It depends on who it is, you know. Yeah. Uh, if it's if it's somebody that you really, really are a, a fan of, it's just like it's tough. Yeah. Um, I think maybe the, one of the worst ones I had was, you know, before. Gosh, it wasn't long before he passed. I was in this like indie film, mm-hmm. and uh, the friend of one of the guys in the movie was Robert Guillaume. You know, oh, Benson, wow. and he came and. And uh, I'm a huge fan of soap and Benson. And definitely. Oof, sorry, I'm getting a little. Uh, <clears throat> <laughs> so I told Teresa, she's like, she goes, oh my gosh, that's Robert Gilman. I said, I, she goes, you have to go talk to him. I was like, I, no, I, I yeah, can't. I would have been the same. Yeah. And then I go up to him and, you know, I was like, okay, okay. So, uh, Mr. Gilman, I'm such a huge fan of soap and whatever, uh, uh, Benson and Sports Night. And, uh, I said, would you take a picture with me? And I'll never forget what he said. He said, I would never say no to a fan. Oh, that's awesome. They say, don't meet your heroes. Sometimes you should meet your heroes because sometimes they're amazing. So anyway, that, yeah, I mean, it just comes with the territory. Sometimes you're on a show and you're like, oh boy, this, I didn't know it's Mm -hmm. working with one of the, or seeing one (laughs) of these people that I really, really admire. And that's, look, that's us being humans. You know, we're not robots acting. Um, Yeah, man, this is us. Biggest show on the biggest drama on TV, you know, yeah. just it just keeps going. So, congrats. Thank you. I was watching some of your scenes uh, just to refresh myself. And one of the things that both my wife, Tressa, and my sister, we were, uh, we talked about was I said, Yeah, I got this guy, Bill Cotton. And they're like, Oh, who's Bill Cotton? And I said, You know, the guy in Galaxy Quest that shows up at the Comic Con. And they're like, Oh my God, I love that guy. <laughs> That's exactly what I was talking about. I do all these small little roles. Yep. And somehow they're memorable. It's funny because you and I play very similar parts. You know, mm-hmm. like I've look, my first TV job ever was on a Cartoon Network show. I played a mailman that delivered <laughs> <laughs> mistakenly delivers shaving cream. Yeah, yeah. So I mean that's just like we're gonna we're we're gonna cross paths at some point uh, yeah. on, on some show. <laughs> and I look forward to it. Me but too. yeah, Galaxy Quest, at the time when it came out, it didn't make a super lot amount of money but it's become this comedy cult classic yes i am i mean do you agree with that 
I do. I've, I've been lucky enough to be in some of the most successful failures of all time. And that was one of them too. It was, it was a sci-fi movie that came out at Christmas and you know, you think that's poised for success. I knew that it was done on a somewhat smaller budget, even though it was a, you know, a big studio film. And that I was kind of disappointed when it came out. The same thing for the movie, The Ringer. Really excited mm-hmm. for it. My big first big break, the Dana Carvey show. It was Dana yeah. Carvey, Robert Smigel, Louis C.K., although we don't talk about him that much these days. Right. Uh, you know, Robert Carlock, Charlie Kaufman, you know, all of these amazing talents put together with Dana Carvey, the most beloved comedy entertainer, one of the hot stars from Saturday Night Live. And then it lasts six weeks, and it's such a failure, they make a documentary about it. Yeah, so, what's the name? Remind me of the name of that documentary, because I want it, people to watch it. It's, it's, it's spectacular. Yeah, on Hulu, where you can also find the rest of the Dana Carvey Show episodes, it's called Too Funny to Fail. Yeah. And it's a brilliant documentary. Usually documentaries about comedy, not funny. This one is the funniest documentary about comedy that I've ever seen. And I'm not saying that because I was involved in the project. Because I'm inclined not to laugh at things that I'm in. <laughs> yeah, that's how I am too. I'm just like picking it apart. Like that's not mm-hmm. funny. You stink, Brent Pope. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All psychology gets to watch with us. Right. <laughs> well, going back to Galaxy Quest. Look, mm. uh, to, well, uh, look, Alan Rickman, man. I don't know if there if there is a person that I would be more intimidated. Yes. To do a scene with. I mean, the late Alan Rickman. Rest in peace. Such a powerful actor. How did you manage that? Uh, a lot of holding my breath. Uh, <laughs> I talked with people about the importance of breathing, and I was holding my breath almost the entire time. I I was standing next to, and I I I've, I've, I always hesitate to talk about this because the the more I mention it on podcasts and interviews and things, the more I'm sure it's going to get back to the person that it's directed about. But there was a guy standing right next to me who was trying to sell Alan Rickman a screenplay, <laughs> and he was Wait. trying. In yeah. real life, he was? Oh, yeah. Oh, dear Lord. He was okay. an extra. He was an extra. Oh. And, oh, and like, until you deliver that line with one of the stars, as you know, you might as well be an extra to them. Yeah. You know? Right. I worked on a scene with uh, Johnny Depp in the movie Rum Diary, and because it was shot from two different angles, he didn't shoot with us. I was on set with him, but if I walked up to him, I might as well have been any other extra on set. So. Yeah. Uh, so here's this extra trying to sell a screenplay, trying to introduce his girlfriend, who's also an extra but not in the shot, to Alan Rickman. And I'm like, oh, my God, if I start interacting with Alan Rickman, he's going to think I'm like this guy. So I didn't hardly say anything to him. Right. So intimidated. Look, um, and there's nothing wrong with, with, with being an extra. It's, it's, it's honest yeah. work. It's, it could be very cool depending on which project you're working on. But you also have to know – you know, you're not the story right now, mm-hmm. and and Alan Rickman's trying to get his stuff together and perform in this big, you know, well, not as big budget, but but in a big uh, in a big movie, and everyone yeah. else is too. So you know, I guess still you know, know the room, <laughs> read the room, and read the time and place. Jeez, yeah. Please. And in that wow. case, the room was the Hollywood Palladium. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a nice so. place to see. I seen a concert there once. It's pretty nice. Actually. Oh, nice. I've never been there for a concert. I was only there shooting. <laughs> yeah, that's the only time I've been there. I think it was maybe Counting Crows, Ben Folds. I don't know. Those are my wheelhouse bands from the 90s. Nice. Uh, so, <laughs> so did you have any interactions with Alan Rickman other than when you're shooting? I, I don't know if he's like one of those guys that's real talkative or is just kind of no. let's just do the work. No. Well, he was talkative with that other guy and the guy wouldn't shut up. So I, yeah. I first of all, I have trouble interrupting people who are interrupters Yeah. disrupting disruptors. So – 
I, so I didn't. And then, but after we were done, he did say, well done. And I was like, oh, oh nice. <laughs> thank you. Okay. That's all you need. Yeah. Uh, By the way, Die Hard. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Best Christmas movie ever. Die Hard. <laughs> Say Mr. Potter, please. Oh. <laughs> Let me ask you if you found this to be, because I find this to be one of the most, I don't know, satisfying things to do in a scene, which is it, your purpose in that scene is to not through what, you know, what any fault of your character, but to really annoy Alan Rickman's character, right? Because yes. he's just heard this so many times and he's like, I can't deal with these big fans, just come, say the catchphrase and all that stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, so, like, I, I did a scene with Michaela Watkins one time where I was a plumber, and I'm just telling her all the things she did wrong, and I, and, and I could tell that, like, you know, at least I'm affecting that character and just making them so annoyed. And I was like, yes, I did my job. I annoyed them. I mean, do you get a certain satisfaction out of that? I do. I, I, I can't say necessarily that I get a sense of satisfaction. Yeah. You know? Um, I get... I, I I just when something feels right, I feel like the hair on the back of my neck stand up, mm-hmm. kind of like when you do out of fear. Yeah, uh, and maybe it's a fear of success, but I get that when I feel a connection, and I definitely felt it on This Is Us with Sterling Brown. I definitely felt that on Galaxy Quest with Alan Rickman, but the hair is standing up on the back of my neck. Um, mm. yeah, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that satisfaction. I think it's a um, a creepy sort of self-reflection that I get. Interesting. Well, I, I always find it, uh, you know, super interesting to talk because every actor gets different things out of, you know, if the, we all did the same scene, we would all get something different out of it, mostly. Definitely. And so, yeah, the, I mean, gosh, that put hairs on the back of my neck standing up, just you saying that. I don't know. <laughs> it's almost, to me, it's like when somebody says they have hives, I feel like I have hives also. Yes. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> or well, someone congrats. mentions an STD, I zip my pants up. Uh, <laughs> Like gets uh, super uncomfortable down there <laughs> when people mention that an STD for no reason. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks for bringing that up over breakfast. Oh, <laughs> well, look, my sister was also very excited because I think this was my niece was probably at the age that where oh, you would yeah. watch Wi- Wizards of Waverly Place at the time, mm-hmm. and you were playing Herschel uh, Larry Tate, which yes. is. I think you were telling me <laughs> it's it, it's a very funny like kind of pun name that refers to because you were the principal on Wizards of Waverly Place that didn't realize yes. anyone was wizards. Yeah, and the uh, thing is, both parts of his name are a joke. Like you don't find out that his first name is Herschel until almost the fourth season when he did, when he like has been getting texts on his phone and he didn't know what texting was, and so oh wow, uh, so there's there's a thing and they said. Uh, 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 Herschel, please call your mom. And she said, oh, somebody left their phone behind. They got a, <laughs> who would call their child Herschel? And I turned to her and say, Floyd and Naomi Larry Tate. Oh, wow. And so, like, his name just came up as a joke in an episode. But then all of a sudden, whoop, that's your name. I've had two characters have silly names like that. that like, um, in the movie The Ringer, my character's yeah. name was Thomas. And then at the okay. end, he needed to get an award. And they were like, oh, oh yeah, let's, uh. So they had these badges made up for us as a, as a joke for scenes where we needed badges, and they were all last names of crew members. And um, uh, Matt Apedio was the assistant to the director, Barry Blaustein. And so mine said Thomas Apedio. So when they had to the end where they were announcing the, the medals, it was Thomas Apedio. So Matt got his last name in the movie, and I got a last name that was a joke. 
you know? <laughs> and that, that happened with Larry Tate too. You know, his, his name is a joke on Bewitched, Larry Tate. And then his first name was a joke on that episode about the texts. That's funny. Yeah. Well, yeah, all the inside things that go in, like you do, people watch things and they just see, oh, that's a weird name. And, and there's probably some kind of inside thing about it, which is, you know, uh, sometimes comes out publicly. Sometimes it's just meant for the people that were there at the time. And uh, either way, it's OK, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't care as long as I get my name right and I get a check. I'm curious. So you you had some scenes with Selena Gomez, mm-hmm. who, as we know, you know, that was the thing that kind of blew her up first. And now yeah. she's just like, you know, everywhere. Mm-hmm. When you're working with her, is there something in you that's like, wow, this, I think this girl's going to be big? Or are you just like, eh, she's she's fine, you know? Yeah, I knew. I knew. Like, I think the f- the second episode that I shot, we're backstage, and she just started singing some song. And I was like, wow, you have a really lovely voice. And then it occurred to me. I was like, she just got hired by Disney. I was like, you've probably already recorded, haven't you? And she said, well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, okay. And then when we started doing scenes together, the ease of working with her was just, I think, unparalleled so far in my career. Wow. Because, well, there was no intimidation factor because I knew her as this, you know, teen. And she was very respectful of me. She and most of the kids at the time knew me from the movie The Ringer. Oh. Um, like Jake T. Austin used to always run around calling me Mr. Cott. And I'd say, you don't have to call me Mr. Cott. We're coworkers. And he'd say, okay, Mr. Cott. Uh, and so <laughs> Selena was very respectful. And um, and so I was, wasn't necessarily intimidated, but I knew that she was a great talent. And then when we get, when we roll into the scenes, there, I never for a minute worried about my lines, never for a minute worried about where am I finding this moment of connection. It was just so organic, so authentic. I knew that she was going to be unparalleled. And with a name like Selena, she kind of had like the whole package. I knew she was going to be famous internationally. Yeah. I mean, is there anyone named Selena that we know that's not famous? I mean, you know, I, don't, I don't think so. <laughs> not, not in my, not in my, yeah, limited, not, not that I know of. I mean, I'm sure there's lots of Selena's, but yeah. But well, there's no Selena's who are like, yeah, the, she was, was kind of good. You know, like they're all like huge stars. Yeah. Let me ask you, uh, where did you grow up? I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, but I grew up all over the country. Okay. Because we would always move back to St. Louis. So I was born in St. Louis, baptized at St. Martin de Porras. Um, my father and mother met because um, they were, uh, my father was in uh, Roman Catholic seminary studying to be a priest. And then he was kind of stepping away from that. And so had a, a friend of his who was engaged, or I think they were dating at the time. And they kind of set my mom and dad up on a blind date. And after that, my dad was like, okay, not going to be a priest now. Wow. Uh, so he became a writer. He was also, I think, in the in the Army Reserves at the time when he met my mom. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah. So after I was born, he got a, a job working as a writer he was working he wrote for the for the uh, pr for the space program for mcdonald douglas oh wow and then got hired to work at shell oil so we moved to texas that's where my brother was born we lived there for about a year or two then moved back to st louis he was writing for merits corporation the travel incentive program yeah and uh and he wrote for them for several years then we moved to michigan because he was writing for a bunch of places in the auto industry yeah so we lived in, you know, in Detroit, right on uh, Nine Mile Road, which is a mile away from Eight Mile, as you can figure out by doing the math. <laughs> yeah. And then we moved to Sterling Heights, which was a little more suburban. 
and then moved back to St. Louis in Baldwin, Missouri, and lived there for a couple of years because he was starting his own company with a good friend of his, and then moved to then then he decided to return to the idea of the priesthood by becoming an Orthodox Catholic priest, like Russian Orthodox, yeah, uh, where you can have a married priesthood. So we moved all the way to northeastern Pennsylvania to live at a Russian Orthodox seminary and monastery. And uh, then moved back to St. Louis, and then I started high school. So that that was my upbringing. Wow. And then and so that I went, I finished high school in St. Louis. So and that's and since I spent so much time there, and you know, spent my early years there, St. Louis is my hometown. But I also consider all those other places very close to my upbringing and very informative of my upbringing. Yeah, I'm curious. So since you did move around so much. And but then you also have that kind of like uh, off again, on again home base in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Which one of those, uh, you know, the moving or the being in St. Louis, do you think kind of shaped you more as a performer, or that you learn more from, or is it a mixture of both? It might be a mixture of both, but I think definitely. Well, moving around so much forced me to find ways to make friends with kids quickly, mm-hmm. and I think humor was one of those ways. So yeah. I would I would make jokes, I would draw cartoons, I would do magic, and those were the ways I you know like I kind of like show it to another kid or do a trick for a kid, and then I'd make a new friend, and then they'd show another friend, and then you know I'd I'd meet kids that way, and also my brother and sister and I were very strong as a unit because we were our own friends. Wherever we moved somewhere, we knew we at least had one another. Okay, and so we would create things together. We would do little audio tapes. My dad got us a cassette recorder and we would record our own programs and jokes. We would do like a parody of uh, Casper, the friendly ghost called Jasper, the deadly ghost who would like come and eat little children. <laughs> it was, it was very dark, but well, so I think a, a lot, of, a lot of the early entertainment experience I had was uh, just reaching out and trying to express myself in some way. Interesting. Well, I, just as you were talking, I was kind of thinking like, wow, so this experience of like kind of having to uh, make friends quickly and always having to kind of make new friends in different places, do you think that helped you once you started booking TV parts where, you know, it is kind of like that when you come on a set, you don't know anybody and you're probably only going to be there for a few days unless you're like a series regular mm-hmm. and then, uh, you know, rinse, repeat like on all the different shows. I mean, do you think that might have helped you in that area? Not not so much because I'm not very talkative on set. I very yeah. keep to myself, which I kind of was when, when I went to those schools too because I wasn't desperate for friends. So I'd be kind of selective about, <laughs> about who I sidled up to to make right. friends. They had to be somebody who I thought had a certain sense of empathy who wouldn't pick on the fat kid with classes, you know. Yeah. And so on a set, I'm kind of the same way. I'm, I'm not sure whom I can trust. I'm not sure who I'm going to piss off by talking to. So right. I kind of walk on eggshells until someone kind of invites me into their circle. And then I'm like, then you can't shut me up. Right. <laughs> but I am kind of guarded. Yeah. Well, I think, look, I think that's probably a prudent thing to do when you go on a set. I think I'm probably a little more outgoing when I go to a set. And uh, sometimes that could you know, backfire, you know? <laughs> so I think here's the, way, the more prudent way. Before we go any further, we had breakfast from Sloan's in Valley Village. Oh. Uh, Bill Cott. Tell me about your meal from Sloan's. Well, first of all, it was even better than the last meal I had at Sloan's because I didn't know that they had meat options. Oh, really? Yeah, you called me up and said, 
they have bratwurst and, and pork belly. Which one do mm-hmm. you want? I was like, uh, <laughs> I would love both of them. I would yeah. go with pork belly today because the last time I, I last time I had it, I believe it was just the egg and the hash brown. I think oh. it was just the si- simplest option on the menu or whatever. Right. But oh my god, it was so good, and I love pork belly. And it was that perfect, you know, for pork belly to be really good, it has to be crispy on the outside and then just like that fall apart fatty goodness on the inside. Yep. And of course it was. And yep. their hash browns, if if people are just like vegan and they just they're just in it for the hash browns, Sloan's is still the place to go because yeah. their hash browns are the crispiest thing in the world. You don't have yeah. to ask for extra crispy. They're so crispy. They're they're like the potato version of those those onions that you put on top of the green bean casserole on mm-hmm. Thanksgiving. Yeah. They're just so crispy. They're crispiness itself, which complements everything else, which is a little mushier. Yeah. And and then the the dipping sauce. Here's what sold me on it when I read it from the menu the very first time. Maple habanero dipping sauce. Yeah. And it's and you can regulate how hot you want it to be by how much you want to put on there, but right. you're also going to cut yourself out of the maple. And oh, I loved it. And it was it was so rich. That I I had to give the other half of the the giant burrito to my wife. Oh yeah, that that's that's what I did too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So uh, you know, we're talking about the ingredients. It's a flour tortilla. We had the pork. We both had the pork belly. Okay. Uh, the hash browns aside, I want to say that is the star of that burrito, just because most. I'm going to say almost all breakfast burritos I've had, and I, I love breakfast burritos. Mm-hmm. They either have like a kind of a diced new potatoes, uh, home 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 fries, those type things in there, or they have the hash browns that are not crispy. And you're oh. right. It adds a certain uh, texture to it that most breakfast burritos do not have because it's because mm-hmm. they overdo the crispiness, and it works. You yeah. know, I mean – uh, it's also got American and cheddar cheese, uh, and jalapenos adds a little kick there too. And mm-hmm. the dipping sauce, you're right. That was, yeah. uh, that was some special stuff. Yeah. Oh, oh, and also, you know, the other thing is that you almost always get, uh, breakfast burritos that have scrambled eggs. This is, uh, over medium eggs. Yes. You've got a little bit of the yolk still, and it's just, it's, you know, it's a different, uh, it's a different taste. It's not all mm-hmm. the same consistency because it's not scrambled. It's, you've got some of the yolks, you got some of the whites. So yeah. So worthwhile. Um, and then the other thing about Sloan's is that it's so elegant when in non-pandemic times to go eat at. And and they have they have in the in the mornings they have brunch and it's all you can drink mimosas. Oh. All right. Yeah. And they have a beautiful outdoor seating pattern. Basically the whole place is outdoors but covered, you know? Yeah, so the the I went to pick up our food and I, I dropped off for you, and that's the first time I'd physically been to Sloan's. Now, I had never been to Sloan. It's crazy because I've been to that Shakey's across the street yes. a million times. Uh-huh. Uh, and and Tressa started telling me, hey, do you want to order from this Sloan's place? And I've, I've gotten some sandwiches there. I got to say the sandwiches are pretty tasty. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, and, and, and they've just got like a, a menu of like really delicious sounding and kind of high end stuff, you know. So, yeah, I'm a fan of Sloan's. And you'll almost always see celebrities hanging out there too. When I was there, Jim Meskimen, the impressionist, was hanging out. I saw the mailman from This Is Us there once. And <laughs> I, <laughs> I could not talk to him, uh, but I that guy's you know. intimidating. Yeah, he's very, he's very off-putting, especially when he starts doing magic tricks. Oh boy! Anyway, uh, Sloans are both big fans. Uh, breakfast burritos are great. I'm going to add that to my list of uh, you know 
Uh, there's I rotate through my favorite breakfast burritos. I think it's just kind of the most perfect food that there is. You can yeah. hold it in your hand. It's got eggs. It's got saltiness. Uh, you know, and and all the you usually could put some kind of sauce in if you want. It's it's very versatile. It's very um, I don't know. I just love it. Anyway, thanks for joining that uh, breakfast with me from Sloan's. Oh, I loved it. Thank you so much for it. It was a delicious. It's it's the only catered breakfast that I've had in pandemic. Oh wow. Okay. Well, good. I'm, I was glad to still say it. Yeah. Before we get out of here, Bill Cott, I need to get three quick recommendations from you. Here we go. What is your guilty pleasure show or movie that you've been watching? It isn't so much a guilty pleasure as something that I really enjoy watching is Mandalorian. I watch oh, yeah. it all the time. I, I've loved every episode, and the last episode of this season just blew me away. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty great. My friend uh, Nate... Uh, who uh, was the locations guy. He's the locations guy for The Mandalorian. Uh, and I was like, oh, I would love to have you come on the show. And he's like, yeah, but I just can't talk about anything on the show. Like, And I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know? I was like, oh, maybe. All right. We'll see. Uh, anyway, what is the hidden gem show or movie that you love that people may not know? The hidden gem. I think not enough people know about Ratchet. On Netflix, which is a mm. it's a prequel to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. And it's all about Nurse Ratched's early life, her sick, twisted early life working at another hospital. And uh, it didn't get a lot of hype. And I think people are still starting to discover it. And that's one of my favorites. My wife and I are kind of like bizarrely attracted to that show. Is that a Ryan Murphy show? Um, you know, I'm so bad with, with knowing. Yeah, who, I th- who, I'm not sure if it is either. It seems like it might be. I auditioned for that show a bunch, like as just random, uh, orderlies and, you know, other random jobs at the hospital. Oh man. I so would I was, love to audition for that show. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't book any of them. So, you know, we're both in the same, <laughs> <laughs> but still I was like, Ooh, uh, ratchet. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I haven't actually watched it and you're right. It, I was excited that I knew it was going to come out and then it never they didn't publicize it that much, at least where I watch. So maybe I will have to dig into it. If you say it's good, that sounds great. Yeah, yeah it really is good. The origin story of uh, Nurse Ratchet. Yeah, exactly. And then I also I also love things that are retro. And this yeah. is you know from the from the clothing to the cars to the dialogue, it's just perfect. What is the show or movie that in, either inspires you or reminds you of yourself? I'd say Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like I watch it again and again, and I I always find something new or uh, appreciate watching it again. Mm-hmm. I guess a, another movie for a, for an odd reason is um, Back to the Future, and actually the whole trilogy. Yeah, and I don't know. Maybe it's part of the you know they're kind of sprinkled with that you know uh, Spielberg magic. Yeah, I yeah. think. Uh, just that. everything, everything that that he was involved with, or even merely like advised on, seems to have a a certain wonderful magical air. Yeah, and yeah. Back to the Future seemed to like inform my my point of view about good and bad, about uh, you know uh, your effect on other generations. You know what you right. do now, how that could affect your descendants. Yeah, how you're connected to your ancestors. Yeah, it's cool stuff. Yeah, it's it's it makes you think. But like for a movie like that, you don't think it's gonna be make you think that much, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then also, if you go back and like me, me and my brother were giant fans of it, and so we had seen all of all of the the first two ones several times, and then we saw 
what was called Back to Back to Back to the Future at Kenrick 8 in St. Louis. And they showed all three of them in a row before they premiered uh, Back to the Future 3. And we started noticing that in that first movie, there's not a single line and not a single plot point and not a single character that isn't mined for gold in the next two films. Yeah. Uh, do you remember the the Spielberg movie AI, which I think was Haley Joel Osment, right? Yes, it was. He played like a little boy that was uh, – he thought he was real. He was actually, uh, I guess, some kind of very uh, realistic android, I believe, or robot. Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I when that movie came out, I made a spoof film called <laughs> – <laughs> this is AI. I made a spoof film called A1, where it was like the same thing, except the kid was a – steak sauce would come out of his mouth. Uh, and, so, <laughs> and, and I can't believe that that thing never got made, Bill Cott. I mean, it's, 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 <laughs> as I'm saying it, I understand now why it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Bill Cott, for those recommendations. I'm going to take them to heart and uh, check them out. Thank you. If you guys, if you'd like to get more Brentfast stuff, such as pics of Bill Cott and I enjoying our Brentfast from Sloan's, go to my website, brentpope.com. You can listen to all the Brentfast episodes there. You can see clips from all my TV appearances and a Brentfast store with a bunch of fun stuff. Shirts, mugs, stickers, masks, it's all in there. People of Earth, I bring you this show for free, but it's not free to make the show, so help us keep this thing going by picking up something from the Brentfast store. You will be so glad that you did. On social media, you can hit me up at Instagram, at scoopspope. Give me a follow, and if you have a Brentfast question, ask away. And be sure you also follow my Facebook actor page. And if you like the show, please subscribe, leave us a review, share it with friends. It's very helpful. Brentfast is being enjoyed all over the United States and in 35 countries spanning six continents. And trust me, my omelet hombres, we are just getting started. Special thanks to my editor, the one and only Rose Marie Brown, for all the Brentfast slicing and dicing. Much appreciation. Big ups all to my studio engineer, Daniel Erickson, for making me sound so good. Bill Cott, what is next for you, and where can we find you on social media? Well, I have two movies in the works as soon as it's safe to start shooting again. One of them is called Colorblind, and it's kind of a it's a romantic comedy, kind of like Crazy Rich Asians, only nobody's crazy or rich in it. And I'm also doing another movie that is called uh, Mid-Century Modern, and it's it's kind of a thriller, kind of in the mode of Get Out, so I can't say too much about that one. Mm. And that's what's, what's next the, for me. What's the ending of it? That's all I need. To <laughs> it ends like this. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what's going on with me. If people want to get in touch with me and find out what's next uh, beyond that, uh, my TikTok is at Bill Cott, C-H-O-T-T is how you spell my last name. I'm also at Bill Cott on Instagram, at Bill Cott on Twitter, and just regular Bill Cott on Facebook. And my improv school is called TheImprovTrick.com. Excellent. Well, thanks for all that. Look, this has been so much fun and so much great info and so many great stories. Thank you for being on Breakfast. Uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you. I had a great time and an awesome breakfast. Excellent. And with that, we put another historically documented episode of Breakfast with Brent Pope <laughs> in the old to-go bag. See you. See you.